There are words, uh, it's kind of interesting when you go through and you're talking about titles of Christ, there are words, um, just in general, uh, that uh, become, uh, they, they not necessarily change meaning, uh, but a word can, a common word can become a, a description for something so much that you, uh, it only becomes known for that thing. For example, uh, if you think about it, outside of the Mexican language, no one names uh, their kid Jesus. Right? That was a common name. We we have Joshua, and it's actually the same name. But I mean, just you'd never name your kid Jesus. Right? Who's going to do that? Um, just the name adopts a, a, con, a connotation. Um, in the Bible, there's a lot of these things that become titles. For example, a a word elder. Right now, an, an elder just means an older person, but it, it became a title, uh, though it be a common word. Um, and sometimes, sometimes these titles or descriptions became names. So I, I grew up with a kid named Junior. Right? Uh, he was a good friend of mine. Well, he was Julio, uh, Julio Junior. We just called him Junior. Um, and that was, ended up becoming his name. It was a title. It became a name. Um, we go back through the Bible. We, remember, we talked about Esau not too, too long ago. How would you like to be the descendants of Esau? Uh, your, your national name meant red. That's what the, the word Edom means, red. Uh, and and they, they got that name as kind of a nickname. They got uh, Esau's nickname because, became Red because he sold his birthright for some red stew. Right? So, I don't know if it was you know, like chili. Maybe it was chili. And uh, he saw it would be like uh, if uh, your, your great-great-great-grandpa sold, his, sold, you know, uh, sold everything he had for some chili and, and, and now you, your last name became Chili. Uh, that's kind of what happened. Uh, like, it was... It, be, it was something that happened and, and, and it became a name. Uh, angel. Angel is a word like that. Angel means messenger. Um, and yet, um, again, only in the Spanish language do people name their kid Angel, I think. I, I knew a kid named Angel. And actually, and, and I will say this, the Spanish people correctly named their boys Angel. Um, angels are boys. They're not girls. Uh, so, so um, it, it's interesting that, that you know, now angel just means messenger. And uh, if you read in the in the in, the, in Revelation, here's some some. Uh, he sends out this uh, this letter, and he says to the to the seven churches, and in each one he says now to the angel of Thyatira or to the angel of Sardis or whatever, right? Well, you don't write a letter to an angel. What's the? He's actually writing to a preacher. Now imagine if if I called myself an angel, we'd be like, that's kind of weird, you know. Um, but technically speaking, a messenger was, that's all it means. It's a messenger. But it became a, a name of something elevated uh, because of what it was connected to. And, and in this, uh, we're going to look at a, 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 the most common title for Christ this week. Uh, and that is, got to turn that thing on. Uh, the most common name we find in the very beginning of our New Testament and it is the book of the genealogy. It begins this way, of, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so the most common one is, is the Christ. That is, that is who he is. And it, what's kind of interesting is that here's a title that's sort of become a name when you think about it in the world around us. And you hear the word Christ used kind of like Jesus' last name. Right? Some people even give him a middle initial. We, we, it almost sounds like, you know, it was 
Mary and, and Joseph Christ and they had little baby Jesus Christ. Right? That's, that's what it sounds like. It was the, the word, now, you would never use the word Christ, right? You would never name your kid Christ or whatever. Jesus has taken that. Uh, what we're going to find is that the, the word Christ is a, is a common word. It's a common name. It's a, it's a common title, I, I guess. Not a name, but it was a common title. More common than you would think. Uh, and so, as we talk about knowing Jesus and, and getting more familiar and getting more acquainted, God has given us all these descriptions and titles. And, and, and here is one, the Christ, and it's the most common one. And it might be the one that we find to be most obscure. What does that mean? Jesus is the Christ. And, and well, okay, well, it's so common that we don't even think of what the concept means, and, and this word is going to be the word that we that we use to, to set up this, this the month of March as we we talk about some some different groupings of of names that are uh, along a similar line. And so, what I want to do is I want to go and look at John chapter one, verse forty and forty one. Since one of the two who had uh, who had heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he first he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, "We have found the Messiah." which means Christ. And sometimes if you, you notice, you, you, you be around somebody and they say something and they use like million dollar language uh, and then you'll ask them to, you know, what does that word mean? And they'll define it with another word that you don't understand. Like, you're not really helping me out here. Or, you know, or you'll read directions and, and the directions are supposed to make this more understandable, but the directions make it more confusing. And Harry says, okay, so, so here's Christ, and it means Messiah. And you're like, great. It's translated, uh, Messiah is translated Christ. What does Messiah mean? I'm not quite sure what that means. It's really important. It sounds important. It sounds uh, like something that's supposed to grab my attention. But I'm not quite sure what that means either. So, uh, at least we've established that it's the Greek equivalent. Christ is the Greek equivalent for the Old Testament Messiah. Well, before we define this word, go back um, and look. John chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Now, this is where Jesus meets this, this Samaritan woman and they're talking. Um, and she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you, and he. And so, so there is kind of something that's important is that this, this Messiah had been long expected. Everybody's waiting for them. And we even see that with the apostles. They're like, we found him. We found him. We, we were waiting for him and we're excited and, and we, 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 we found him. You gotta come and, and listen to him. We were listening to John and, and he introduced us to this guy. This has to be the one we're looking for. And so, so the Messiah was long anticipated. Well, if someone was long anticipated, where would I go to learn about what this meant? Well, obviously, I'd have to go to the Old Testament. Uh, and this is the only passage in which you will look at in the Old Testament and find the word Messiah. Like You would think that if, if something was such a fundamental part of the, the Hebrew faith, that you would see more references to the Messiah in the Old Testament, but this is it. For something that's such a foundational concept that's overriding 
people, so that, that even like Samaritans, which were kind of half-Jews, even they got the concept of, of Messiah. There was such an important thing to them. And this is it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. He says, 70 weeks are declared. This is a prophecy. 70 weeks are, decre- are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both, uh, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know and understand that from the going out of this word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, a prince, there will be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it will be built again with squares and a moat in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks the Messiah will be cut off and shall have nothing as well. This is uh, what's referred to as a 70 week prophecy. Uh, uh, Bruce mentioned how things were predicted in detail. And this is one, to me, this is this is the greatest prophecy of the Old Testament. I like this one the best. I like this one uh, the best because it predicts to the year when Christ would come. If you follow these out, a year for a, a day from the time that the, the command to rebuild Jerusalem, and you just follow it down through, you will come to 30 A.D. And, and he, and he it even predicts this, this, this seven year period and is going to be in the middle of this seven year period is three and a half but actually right down to the half year if you want to get that specific that Jesus had a three and a half year ministry and in the and in this this middle of this period where Christ would bring the gospel both to Jews and to Gentiles he died in the middle of that period uh, he died having brought it to to Gentiles or to Jews only and three and a half years later it then went to the rest of the world and that's this whole prophecy that is what a tremendous prophecy how tremendously accurate. And Daniel writes this, you know, 500 years before this ever took place. To the year. Like that. What tremendous prophecy. This is, this is the basis for the Messiah, for the concept of the Messiah. Well, I say that that's actually not <clears throat> 100% true. Excuse me. Because as I said in the beginning, sometimes, Words were common words and became associated with something. And, and that's where it ended. They don't, they don't extend beyond that. And so it became a title. Now, when we talk about the word Messiah, the word Messiah meant something beyond just the coming person. Um, we see here the death prophesied. But in Acts, let's go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, we're going to go back to the New Testament. It says, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage? Again, this is a quotation uh, from Psalm. Uh, and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Ah. Now we have a definition. The definition of Messiah is anointed. So if you read the word Christ or you read the word Messiah, it's the word anointed. So now we have a ton of references in the Old Testament to what it means to be anointed. And now we come to another problem is that the majority of those references don't refer to Christ. They're not prophecies of Christ. They're references to to other people. Uh, but they do teach us a little bit about the concepts of what it means to be the anointed. Um, it was used 
Uh, it had, as I say, it had an ordinary meaning. Um, so, so when we're trying to translate this and, and, and we want to make sure we know we're talking about Christ in the Bible, we'll use Messiah or Christ because it's referencing Him. So, or we'll say the anointed. But it had a common meaning and it, and it uh, uh, was used in reference to ordinary people. I think I have this here. Um, yeah, Isaiah 45.1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him, to loose the belt of the kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed, etc., etc. And so here it's actually used to reference Cyrus. Uh, Cyrus, interestingly, was predicted uh, over 200 years before his birth by name. That's amazing. He was the Lord's anointed. He wasn't Christ. Well, he was a Christ because he was anointed. Uh, but we don't give him that title. Because once Christ has the title, it's kind of, you know, sacrilegious. Start naming your kids Jesus. You don't want to do that. You, know, like, oh. uh, you, you don't want to start calling other people Christ once Christ has, took that title. It's Christ little c. He's Christ little c. Cyrus was Christ little c. Jesus was the Christ. Once Christ got that title, no one else can have it. This is alone. But there were lots of people with Christ. And what we get out of this, what's important about this, it means to be officially chosen. And, and we have to understand the connection between being chosen um, for some official duty. And we're going to look over the next several weeks at, at some duties that Christ was chosen for, some specific roles that, that he had. Um, but, but what's the connection then between being called the anointed and having a specific duty? Uh, and uh, the, the, the fact is that he, uh, in the Old Testament, this is how you were chosen. Wonderful. Wonderful thing that happened when you were chosen for an official role. You get olive oil poured all over you. In that way. I imagine if we just had elders pointed and, okay, come up here and, uh, and sit down here. Mike's not here. And, uh, he's the last one. And we just say, okay, here, dump, dump some Filippo Berrio on him, right? Oh, you're wasting all that olive oil. We could have had some good pasta. No, nope. um, th- that was how they inaugurated someone. That was the sign of someone being officially chosen. It was recognizable in the presence of everybody. Why? Why in the world would you do that? Why would you waste good olive oil? Maybe some 10W30 or something. Why would you do that? Oil was a symbol of richness. Um, to have olive oil. Eh? It was a, you, we, we have a, it had the phrase, the fat of the land, right? The fat of the land. What does that mean? It was a reference to olive oil. And, and, and being, something being productive. Right? Uh, this, I, I kind of understand this. When I look at my monthly budget, it's like, I like olive oil. You know, when that time comes in the month and I have to buy olive oil, it's like, whoo, wow, we broke the bank this week, right? Like, man, that hurt my budget. I wasn't expecting that. And we have idioms that are similar, by the way. Um, if you go back to medieval times, we still have an idiom that dates back to medieval times. 
uh, you go back to the time where, where uh, there were arranged marriages, right, in England. And, uh, and then you had an arranged marriage. And a father wanted a, a, a prospective father-in-law, wanted someone for his daughter that would, that would really be able to provide. You know what he was looking for? He was looking for a man who could bring home the bacon. And we still have that idiom today. Why? Because that signifies somebody that was affluent. We still have these idioms, and this was, this was kind of their idiom. Olive oil was their idiom to, to reference blessing and, and, and richness. And, and, this was, and so here is God is officially choosing someone. He's blessing them with this position. It is, it is a reference, and they recognize this as God choosing somebody. He's put His blessing on this person. Where we reference the cream of the crop, right? We have, we have all these idioms that are a part of our language that are really work the same thing. This, this guy's the best. He's the cream of the crop. Well, that's what it means to know some facts about the anointed. But we don't want to just know some facts. We want to know really, we want to know him in a real material way. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, this is not about Christ, but it again teaches us, I think, a lesson. David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness for the Lord. He gave you into my hand today. And I would not put out my hand against the Lord's minded. So this is while... Uh, this is later on when, when Saul was chasing David and David snuck up and he stole his spear and stuff at night while he was sleeping and says, hey, look what I found. And, uh, and he's like, I could have killed you. Uh, later on, actually, David felt even guilty for taking the spear and he had cut off a piece of the robe. Uh, it might have been a separate occasion, but he even felt guilty for doing that. Even though, And we see reverence here is an important part of the Lord's anointed. This is, this is the one on whom God has put His blessing. There needs to be reverence for the one that God has put His blessing upon. And so, if we're talking about... Here, this is referencing Saul, who was multiple occasions, multiple occasions tried to kill... In fact, Saul was a bad shot with a spear. He tried to kill David twice and his own son once. He really was a bad shot. It's probably good that he didn't go out and try to... Uh, defeat Goliath, he probably would have missed. Um, but besides that, it didn't make a difference. David had reverence. Here's all these times you're trying to kill me. I still have reverence because it is beyond the person. It's beyond the person that is maybe not worthy of it, but the fact that God chose him and has put his blessing on it. I have reverence for the one who put him in that role. And that was, that was this degree of reverence that, that David had for the Lord's anointed because it wasn't just the person who was anointed, but it was the Lord's anointed. And Jesus is the Lord's anointed big C. He's the, the big Christ. And David had reverence. Do we have reverence for Christ and all the things that Christ represents? But it means more than that. Uh, it means 
similar, having similar interests. I want to look at chapter Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4, and verse 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Here he is beginning his ministry. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Remember, this is chosen for a purpose. It's not just chosen arbitrarily. It's not chosen just to be sitting in the office. It's chosen for a purpose. He's, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. He's sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord favorable. Some of your versions will say the favorable year of the Lord. It's all the same. When you um, get close, and we've talked about getting close to Christ, and that's what it means to know somebody, to, to have this degree of familiarity. When you get close to someone, your interests and, and the way you do things and the things you like start to grow together. Before I got married, I put four sugars in my coffee. I don't get sugar in my coffee anymore. I don't put, even think about it. What changed? Married someone who does things a little differently. When I got married, my wardrobe consisted mainly of things colored blue. I'm looking through my wardrobe the other day. It consists of mainly of things that are colored green. What happened? I don't know. I was, I've got all these green shirts. I'm getting rid of a bunch of green shirts. I, I have this range of green shirts. What happened? You grow and, and things change. You become familiar and, and you're more, your interests and, and the things you like to do are different. I never went to a single garage sale before I was married. Not once. Not once. In my life. Right? Just the things you do change. If you've been married, there's things you look back and say, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember having this. I don't remember... What changed? Your interests because of the closeness that you have. And Christ says, these are my interests. These are my interests. Let's rephrase some of these. He's interested in giving good news to poor people. Poor people don't get a lot of good news. Do they? On a daily basis, do they get up and say, excellent, this happens to me. They don't get a lot of good news. That's door number one. Right? He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It's the first thing. Emotional healing. Brokenhearted. There are a lot of people with deep emotional problems. He has anointed me to heal brokenhearted, to address the emotional needs of people around us. We live in a broken-hearted world. People, broken families. We, we, the word broken, just we use it a lot in reference to our world. We talk about broken spirits. People are broken. And He has sent us. He sent. He was sent for emotional healing. Rescue for the helpless. Right? To proclaim liberty to the captives. 
There are people who are captive to a lot of things, be it addictions or what have you. People are captive to habits, captive to guilt, captive to their shame, captive to the consequences of decisions that they've made. And he says, I have been sent to rescue people who are enslaved to something. This doesn't sound good. Informing the ignorant. I don't mean this in a negative way, but there are just a lot of people who have never heard something. They've not heard. It says, recovery of sight to the blind. The people who just aren't aware of things. They're unaware, whether it kind of goes back to the first one, bringing good news. There's just a lot of people that they've never heard. Uh, I heard a, a story in World War II that there, were, there was an island of, of people that were still fighting in Japan after they had not heard that, that the war was over. They hadn't heard about the bombs. They, they were still fighting this war. It was like, like months or years later. They didn't know that they didn't have to be fighting. Imagine that. So, he came to inform people who were who ignorant of, of reality. Freedom from abuse. He says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And people are under all sorts of abuse. Some they do to themselves and, and some from other people. Some from circumstances. Whatever it is. But he says, there are people who are being oppressed. There are people in religious situations um, that are oppressed by wrong religious beliefs. There are people that are that are oppressed by circumstances and the, the friends they're around. All sorts of situations, and these are going on all around us. In the last one, he says, "Claim the year of the Lord's favor." Christ came for second chances. I think it's good to rephrase these a little bit. <clears throat> because it's fine the way it is. But when we read it this way, I think we see a lot of the people around us. This is what people live in. And Christ says, you want to know me? This is who I am. These are my interests. I have been sent for a purpose. I've been sent to address these things. And it's kind of interesting that, that 2,000 years ago, the things that Christ came for are still in existence today. Every one of them. If you want to be reverent of the Christ, if you want to be familiar with the Christ, you have to be familiar with this mission. And that's where we end today. How can I help the mission? How can I jump on board with these things? These six things. Put a piece of paper in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 in your Bible. And think about that this week. As we leave. Think about the people you know. 
Where do they fall into these categories? They, they might not fall in all of these. They might only fall in one. So open your eyes this morning and be prepared. As a, one of the churches that, that I grew up in, uh, I have a, a friend of mine now preaches there. Uh, and uh, they have a, a door above the door when you leave. Someone painted... I don't know if his wife or whatever. They painted the sign. It says, you are now entering the mission field. You are now entering the field where these, these six things apply and need to be addressed. Not that they don't need to be addressed inside, but they exist out there. Poor people need good news. People need healing. People need to be freed. People need, need to be made aware. And people need to know that they have a chance to start again.